This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom software for budgeting and planning by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for joining us today. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I am so excited to be joined today by Morgan Olson, Executive Vice President, Treasurer, and Chief Financial Officer at the Arizona State University. Welcome, Morgan. Good morning, Megan. Well, to get us started today, I was hoping you could talk about how you came to higher education as a profession. Sure. So uh, I've been working in higher education now for over 30 years, but my first exposure was uh, beyond obviously attending a college or two was uh, serving on the State Board of Higher Education in the state of North Dakota, which is where I grew up and received my first two degrees. I had the opportunity to serve as the uh, student representative on the governing board for the state's public universities and colleges. And it was that that sort of sparked my interest in higher education as a career. Wow. So how long did you say 20 years in the field? Uh, more like 30. 30 years in the field. I hate so, to admit that today. So yes. they grabbed you right out of, was it grad school and just pulled you in right away? That's amazing. I, I did work for about five years uh, in the state office of management and budget. And uh, fr- from there, went into higher education. So yes, uh, most of my career. Well, I would love for you to um, compare and contrast what might be different about entering higher education as a career today than it was when you entered academia 30 years ago. Great question. You know, I think uh, perhaps the uh, the biggest thing that has changed uh, other than uh, technology, which of course has changed our entire world, is mm-hmm. sort of the placement of uh, of higher education in society. I think you know, when uh, when I was getting my start in the, the profession and the industry, uh, it, it, I think it was generally pretty well accepted that, uh, you know, higher education and colleges and universities and those who worked for them were really there for the, you know, for the good, for the betterment of society. And, and that uh, uh, college education was really something to aspire to and to achieve. And uh, today, I think many of those things, while still true, uh, are not universally held opinions in society. I think there are more questions today about the value proposition of higher education, you know, concerns about how much it costs and whether the cost is is uh, worth the outcomes for individual people. And, you know, those are things that I think as leaders in higher education, we all need to be concerned about uh, and certainly uh, organizing our work around and, and communicating, you know, to the public and to uh, prospective students and their parents and policymakers about the value proposition and the continued importance of higher education. So for somebody just entering the profession, maybe they're on track to become a CBO or they have aspirations to become a CBO. What advice would you give them knowing what what you just shared with us about how different it is today? Yeah, I, I think 
probably the uh, the biggest thing for someone starting out today would would be you know we we do have a uh, a public we do have lots of stakeholders uh, and that's true regardless of institution type and we need to remember how important uh, maintaining a good relationship and strong communication channels with those stakeholders is. And, and so, you know, I think a lot of us, particularly in the business officer profession, are used to focusing on fairly technical aspects of the work, uh, you know, whether, whether it's uh, financial management and accounting or procurement or, uh, uh, you know, uh, building buildings or or working with uh, automated systems, those things are still important. But the role that we have in terms of communicating to the public and to our stakeholders about uh, our work and what we do and why we do it the way that we do, why it costs what it does, and and how uh, individuals can uh, access the opportunities that higher education provides. Those are all things that we have to be able to communicate about to our stakeholders. And that's something I think that doesn't perhaps come naturally to most people. (laughs) So again, going back to advice you would give to people, knowing that not only do you have to be a technical, I guess, technically proficient, you also have to be a solid communicator and knowing that that skill might not necessarily be second nature to somebody entering this type of profession. um, What resources might you provide or advice would you give to somebody to brush up on their communication skills or uh, ensure that that is a skill set that they're paying attention to? Sure. Well, that's, you know, it's not something I think that comes naturally for most of us. And uh, like a lot of uh, things in life that are that way, you know, practice uh, makes perfect, or at least Mm -hmm. it it makes one better. And so I think that's part of it. Most of us, I think, have uh, 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 individuals, professionals, communication professionals within our institutions or available, you know, to our institutions that uh, can help us with that, you know, sort of help us structure our thoughts, help us deliver them more effectively and be there as advisors. And so I think taking advantage of those kinds of resources uh, uh, is important. And really just, uh, uh, you know, taking the time to uh, think through and develop, uh, uh, you know, the appropriate message and, and then uh, practicing delivery with various audiences. I think those are the things that, that tend to be important. And that, you know, the first, the first thing, I think the first part of the battle is just realizing that that's something that it's is an actually an important tool in one's toolkit and, mm-hmm. and it needs you know needs some exercise let's talk a little bit about your current role at the Arizona State University. What is most exciting to you about your job today? I think that the most exciting thing about uh, you know working for a university and certainly working at Arizona State University is the important role that we play in people's lives you know regardless of your role with the institution you know you you might be maintaining the grounds you might be teaching classes you might be you know performing uh, life sciences research or developing computer programs fundamentally we're all helping people reach their full potential and to me that's what it's all about i always love commencement because it's a time of celebration you know people are uh celebrating the achievement of a milestone in, in their lives, and it opens up new opportunities, uh, you know, whether it's career or further study. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's such a, a happy time. And uh, again, regardless of what we do as individuals within our, our college or university, it's a reminder of why we're all there. And, and I, I just think that, you know, helping people reach their full potential as human beings, which allows them 
to live better lives, to be more productive and contributing citizens, you know, to, to uh, help their families and ultimately to make society a better place. You know, there are a lot of things you can do with your career, but that's, that's a pretty important. And so I, I feel really fortunate to be part of that. What are you doing now in your career that you never imagined you'd be doing maybe 10 or even 20 years ago? Right. Well, I think I, that for me, that sort of springs out of, of uh, you know, what's, what's changed in our profession and changed in an industry uh, over the last, you know, decade or so. And, and that is that, you know, it's becoming a more challenging environment economically. And so, uh, you know, generating resources, you know, for the institution to realize its mission is becoming increasingly important. And I think, uh, uh, you know, historically, chief business officers were involved in the internal operation of the institution, you know, the allocation of resources, the management of resources, you know, both uh, human, uh, physical and financial. Uh, you know, those those are the things that traditionally were part of what we do. But I, I think uh, many business officers, myself included now, are spending more time on revenue generation. And that is something that I hadn't anticipated earlier in my career. But, you know, with with uh, uh, essentially a trend toward declining public investment in higher education, which I believe is true regardless of whether one is at a private or a public institution, is requiring us to sort of change our business model, where the resources come from, how they're, how they're allocated and used. And so for all of us, uh, identifying opportunities to generate those resources so the institution can uh, fulfill its mission is a much more important part of the job today. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about revenue generation and what types of things you're looking at that you think are promising or that are working for you or that you're experimenting with currently. Sure. You know, so so at ASU, we believe in the, the what we call the power of partnership. And so, you know, we look for a variety of uh, partners and uh, those, you know, ideally, you know, if if uh, all the parties to the partnership aren't benefiting, ultimately, it won't uh, sustain itself. And, and so, you know, it has there has to be alignment. Uh, but we look for partners in terms of many things that we do uh, that would include uh, delivering, you know, state of the art student living and learning uh, facilities. Uh, that would include how we uh, generate energy. Uh, in our case, you know, in the Valley of the Sun. And, and you know, if you can't use uh, solar energy in the Valley of the Sun, I don't know where it will work. So, you know, today we have <laughs> over 58 megawatts of solar generating capacity, about half of it, which is actually located on our physical campuses and the other half through, you know, uh, partnerships with others, their grid scale projects. So those are a couple of examples. Uh, you know, we partner in our academic and research areas as well. We, you know, we have our college achievement program uh, with uh, Starbucks, where we have today over 7,500 uh, Starbucks associates who are students through ASU Online and having the opportunity to gain a college degree. Uh, so that partnership is important to us. We, you know, we have a number of others that I could mention if we had more more time. But you know, so uh, partnering uh, with uh, other types of uh, organizations, companies, and institutions is is certainly a strategy. Um, I think that uh, one thing that uh, is relatively unique, but become a little bit more common is, is that one resource that Arizona State University has is uh, uh, land. And, you know, we're, we're in with several of our campuses, relatively urban areas. And so, you know, our, our first use always will be, you know, our core mission. 
but we also find opportunities essentially to monetize some of that land and at the same mm. time uh, help build the uh, economy here in the valley, economic development, providing employment for uh, uh, you know our our students and other other citizens of the area, and and generating uh, income that we can invest in our core mission for the university by virtue of uh, development of that land. So that would be another thing that uh, I probably wouldn't have anticipated ten years ago that today is an important part of what we're doing in, in order to ensure that the university has the resources to fulfill its mission. Did you ever think twenty years ago that you would be talking about solar panels as part of your? As part of your professional role? <laughs> no, I, I I didn't. But you know, I think I, I think as you know, as a as a citizen of the earth here, I, it's a great thing because uh, we we all are are you know now concerned about uh, the impact you know that our activities as as human beings have on uh, our planet, and we you know at least for right now we only have one of those, and so we better take good care of it, and and uh, you know making sure that we have clean air and clean water, those types of things are important, and so anything that we can do. Uh, you know, both as sort of a, a corporate citizen, uh, you know, for for the university is important. But the other thing I think is really important is, you know, we're a we're a, a place of uh, of teaching and learning and uh, development and dissemination of knowledge, and so we're sort of you know modeling behaviors for you know people who are studying with us, going to graduate, and they're going to go out and be uh, society's future leaders. And we want to make sure that one of the things that they learn is that. It's important to think about the impact that we have on our environment, and you know, no matter what you do in life, as an as an individual or, or as a uh, you know a, someone who is uh, in the working in the economy, uh, it's important uh, to you know have those kinds of considerations and act on them. Is that something that you're finding is more important to students and their parents and your employees? Is that more of a conversation just generally, or does it more come from the university talking about sustainability and social impact and all of those topics? Well, uh, you know, it, there, there may, may have been a time where it, it was more, a, you know, a concept that Arizona State University was pushing. You know, we, mm-hmm. we had the first school of sustainability in the country. We offered oh, the wow. first the first PhD uh, degree in in sustainability, uh, and you know so I, I you know I would like to think that there was some uh, leadership on the part of the university, but today you know we have all kinds of students seeking us out you know to study in those programs, and even if they're interested in you know studying something else, life sciences or business or engineering or architecture, uh, today's students do care uh, you know about. Uh, how clean the air they breathe is, and and you know what uh, what uh, the average temperature is, uh, in, you know, in their area climate, and and so increasingly we find that students are seeking out answers to those types of challenges, and they also want you know they want answers from their their university where they're going to spend four or more years, and they want to know you know that we're recycling, they want to know that we're making effective use of water. That we're not uh, contributing uh, to to an undue degree, you know, to the post-consumer waste stream. They want to know that our buildings are energy efficient and sustainably built, and you know, and I could go on with other examples, but they're asking all those kinds of questions today. And I, you know, whether it's a little bit chicken or egg, I don't know if that's because you know those are things that they they learned through their education or they came from other places. But I think it's a great trend, and it, it you know helps us motivates us to do better. 
Morgan, what would you say is the biggest opportunity for CBOs today? We talked a little bit about some of the challenges in terms of funding streams and and revenue streams, trying to find different ways to, to generate those. But what would you say is, I guess, a communal opportunity for CBOs today? I think, you know, today, whether it's an opportunity or a challenge or both, not sure. I do think that, uh, you know, we're, we're probably changing more, uh, you know, as, a, as an industry, if I can call higher education that, uh, than we have at least in, you know, the, the uh, years that, that I've been involved. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, colleges and universities are criticized as being sort of slow to change, you know, how, they, how we do what we do. And uh, I, I, you know, I feel as though the pace of change is accelerating. There are a number of factors that uh, help create that circumstance. Certainly, the you know the potential of technology. You know, there are things that are possible today that you know 15 or 20 years ago we couldn't have imagined. Uh, it, you know, today it, it's possible for a student to uh, uh, you know gain a degree in a particular program of study without ever setting foot you know on a, on a university campus and. And mm-hmm. so that's really changing that type of thing, you know, that's technology enabled is really changing what we do and how we do it. We also have the, you know, the imperative to be cost effective. You know, if, if you look at uh, the the price, you know, to students and others who help them with the cost of their college education, uh, it's it's probably growing too fast. You know, that cost curve probably looks a lot like the cost of healthcare in our society, which is another area that tends to be be criticized. And so I think all of us who are, who are leaders in higher education, especially in, you know, the sort of the finance and business area, you know, we have to be uh, innovative. You know, we have to take advantage of opportunities and to think differently about how we can ensure that higher education is accessible and affordable for anyone who has the ability to benefit from a college degree. And, and so I think that pressure is uh, intensifying. And so, and so whether that's a challenge or an opportunity or both, I don't know. But, you know, we, it, it, I think it's one of the more important things that we do. And, and again, if we, you know, want to make sure that society in general is supportive of the value proposition of higher education, that's one of the things to which we're going to have to be attentive. Who would you say has served as a professional mentor to you? Have you had mentors throughout your career? And if so, what what have they given to you in your career? Yeah, I, I've I've I had a couple of people that I I would consider to be uh, uh, mentors. One one of us who's who's still uh, with us here on the planet, and and one who wasn't actually a, I, I could name three. Uh, my uh, uh, my my first two were from the state of North Dakota. One was uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Tom Clifford, who for many years was the uh, president of the University of North Dakota, where I received my undergraduate and, and master's degrees. And uh, he had been the vice president for business finance there for many years. And I had the opportunity to get to know him and work with him when I was uh, serving on the, the state board of higher education. And uh, he went on after that uh, when I was working in state government to really just be someone who could give me advice that I really valued. Uh, and, and, you know, he was someone who, when I realized that I was sort of interested in higher education as a career, I looked at him and said, wow, you know, if I could have a career, anything like his, you know, I'd, I would just be marvelous. And so he was always kind enough, you know, as a university president with all kinds of things to worry about uh, and and people to talk to, you know, he would take time occasionally to talk with me and, you know, he had nothing to gain from that. 
you know, I certainly wasn't in a position where, you know, there was anything I could do for him. And so I always appreciated that. Unfortunately, he, you know, passed away a few years ago here, but, uh, you know, he's very much, uh, you know, revered as perhaps the best president ever of the University of North Dakota. Uh, this, the second person I would mention is somebody that I worked with in an internship, uh, a fellow by the name of Chet Nelson, who was the director of uh, the uh, fiscal staff of the North Dakota Legislative Council, who uh, served as my uh, supervisor in an internship and gave me just a tremendous amount of opportunity. I was a, you know, a first-year graduate student at the time, and uh, he kind of w- threw me into something, and, and uh, you know, uh, if if that didn't kill me, he gave me the opportunity to try something else. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I learned an awful lot, including some things that I still use to this day. You know, as a business officer, I'm responsible for a lot of different functions. And I can't be an expert in all of them. But I, I think sort of the, what he taught me was, you know, some little little tricks to uh, be able to assess something and, and, you know, without without having deep knowledge of it, know whether with a pretty good probability whether it was correct or it needed more work. And uh, so I'm grateful, you know, to him for, for that. Um, and then the third person that I, I would mention is a fellow by the name of Roger Lowe, who for many, many years was the chief business officer for the Wichita State University in Kansas. And Roger, you know, worked for his institution, if, if I recall correctly, for almost 40 years. You know, it started as a municipal university and ultimately became a part of the Kansas Board of Regents system, a state university. And, you know, in my view, uh, you know, Roger uh, was just the quintessential business officer. And I had moved from state government into higher education at Emporia State University in Kansas in the same system. And uh, Roger early on said to me, hey, you know, if there's anything I can ever do to help you, uh, you know, familiarize you with things that you may not know about, you know, since it's your first job in higher education, et cetera, uh, you know, I'm happy to do that. And I tested him. I took him up on that. And he was always incredibly generous with his time. And and uh, I always benefited, you know, from uh, talking with him and, and learning from him. And Roger retired here just a few years ago. And uh, in typical Roger fashion, his retirement consists of going to work as a volunteer for uh, various <laughs> charitable organizations, including, you know, going all over the country. And, you know, Roger is uh, quite a ways into his 80s now. And, and so I can't think of a better role model than, than he. And so those are three people, uh, Megan, that, uh, you know, I would cite as people that I've uh, been fortunate enough to learn from in my career. Amazing. Those are great, great stories. Thank you for sharing those. Do you feel that you serve as a mentor to those that are potential upcoming CBOs? <laughs> well, uh, gosh, I don't know. Other than maybe, maybe don't try this at home. I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I do. I, I, you know, I think you know we're in a university. You know, we're 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 supposed to be a, a learning organization. We're we're supposed to uh, you know impart knowledge to people, and I think that's true. You know, both inside and outside the classroom, and so I try to do that, and and. Uh, you know, people that are interested, I, I certainly try to help them, you know, certainly with, you know, with my team here at the university, um, you know, they, they've got a tough, tough job. They've got to make me look competent, uh, you know, more often than not. And so, uh, you know, the more, more, uh, you know, smart people with, with great capabilities and, and uh, wonderful work ethic that I can, you know, gather around me, the, the better off I am. And, and, you know, that our job is to sort of serve the university. So, you know, I, I try to make sure that I give people an opportunity to do that. I've certainly had people that have worked with me that have gone on to, uh, you know, some uh, really, you know, important uh, leadership roles uh, in higher education and elsewhere. 
And, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, we all have a responsibility to try to find ways to give back to the profession and, and uh, you know, to our colleagues. Anything else you'd like to share that I've neglected to ask today? <laughs> oh, uh, you know, I, I just think that, uh, uh, you know, what, what we do in, in higher education is so important, you know, for, for society. I, I think that education is essentially, you know, the, the great equalizer in society. And, uh, you know, I, I tell our, our children that, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that you can buy that are depreciating assets. The most expensive thing you can do for that new car that you buy is to drive it off the lot. You know, so as shiny as it is, as expensive it is, as it is, you know, it's a depreciating asset. In contrast, no one can ever take your education away from you. No one. And, you know, that's an asset that actually compounds over time. You know, we all need to be continuous learners and do our best to to learn new things throughout our careers and throughout our lives. And no one can ever take that away from you. And so it, it's, you know, it's an asset that uh, compounds in, in value. And so it's so important for anyone who has the ability to benefit from that. And of course, the interest, because you have to work hard at it. Uh, but anyone, you know, who's in that situation should have the opportunity to get a college education. And so that's really, I think, what our challenge is in, uh, in today's world of higher education is to allow people to uh, gain that knowledge, to gain an education, which then provides them with the opportunity for upward mobility in society. And that's, you know, that's, that should be true regardless of income, regardless of background. It should be based on one's abilities and one's initiative. You know, you have to work hard. You have to be willing to put in the work. But if you're willing to do that, you should absolutely, I believe, in our society here in America, have that opportunity. And, you know, making that opportunity available to people really is uh, what we're here to do. Well, thank you so much, Morgan, for your time today and for sharing just a few of your stories and experiences with us. Well, thank you, Megan. It's been great visiting with you. You can find out more about Morgan and today's episode by visiting the conferences and e-learning section, then click podcasts of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks in Apple Podcasts so that you get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Morgan and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom software for budgeting and planning by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education.